and welcome to the podcast. I'm David Maldo, the founder and CEO of Let's Do Video, where we talk about business communications and team productivity tools with, of course, a heavy focus on video conferencing. I'm joined here today by a good friend and uh, industry expert, Simon Dudley. He recently wrote a few articles that I thought were really interesting and wanted to chat with him about. So, Simon, thanks for joining me here today. Could you just take a, a minute to introduce yourselves to us? Sure. Hi, David. And hello, audience. Uh, I'm Simon Dudley. I'm the CEO of Accession Events, a consultancy in the video conferencing and visual collaboration world. Uh, about 20-something years in, in video conferencing and um, a lot more than that in industry. So, yeah, I kind of write all sorts of random stuff, and I'm rather pleased, David, that you thought they're worth talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd like to dig right in. There was an article you talked about the products we make and how we expect our users to use them. And the example you gave was uh, screwdrivers. You said we have flathead screwdrivers, and you can improve a flathead screwdriver, I actually have one here, by turning it into a, a Phillips screwdriver, which grabs the screw better and does a better job. So you would think people would want to sell these to their customers. But what if they're using their flathead screwdrivers to open up paint cans? Then this won't help them very much. I love when vendors listen to their users, and this is the ultimate story in my mind. When Kleenex was first invented, it was sold as a, uh, a makeup application and removal tool. They were going to send them out to Hollywood. If it's good enough for Marilyn Monroe's makeup, it's good enough for you. And they soon got feedback from the users saying they were using them as disposable handkerchiefs. In those days, you would sneeze into your cloth handkerchief and put it in your pocket, and that's not really very sanitary. So the Kleenex company could have reacted to this by saying, they're doing what with our product? No, we have to educate them. This is a makeup tool. But instead they said, well, if that's what the users want, that's what we're going to market it as. Completely flipped their marketing upside down, changed everything, and made a lot of money. So with that, I was wondering how you think our industry is doing. Are they as smart as Kleenex or are they not as smart as Kleenex? Are we listening to our users or not? No. <laughs> there you go. That's the answer. No. <laughs> but, but to elaborate on that, I think we're not because our industry has got obsessed with the wrong set of criteria. Um, I know we're going to talk about one specifically later, but this whole industry has been obsessed with the quality of the image for the last yeah, 10, 12, 14 years. I was probably part of that from one of my previous incarnations. I helped bring the world's first high definition system to the world. And it was great, but it actually isn't, when you look back at it, what customers really wanted. They wanted a technology that was ubiquitous and easy to use. And if it was great quality, well, that's great, and we'll take it. But that wasn't the criteria that was holding up the industry. And I do wonder if the industry has got too obsessed with kind of making decisions along the wrong set of criteria. Users really just want to be able to do video all the time from anywhere, easily. That's the answer not great quality for a few people. I agree. When I first came into this industry, I was uh, at Wayne House Research, and what I was hearing from users was, you know, okay, you, you beat us over the head with this enough. We get it. We get the ROI of video conferencing. It helps with productivity, higher engagement, better impact. We should be using it. We understand that. Make it easier, make it more affordable, and make it more flexible, and we'll use it more. It's, it's too expensive and it's too hard. And the industry responded by saying, I know what we'll do will sell quarter-million-dollar telepresence solutions that are incredibly complicated, incredibly hard to use, incredibly expensive, and that'll fix everything. And I said, 
what am I missing here? Uh, they definitely got an well, F on that one. They did, except that actually one could argue that a white glove service isn't complicated, not for the users, because they walk in the room and there's Tokyo or LA or London or wherever it is they're going to call, because they haven't had to do anything. You see, if I've got a white a glove process, I don't need to know how it all works. It's irrelevant to me. It's a box of warm tapioca. It's, in fact, technically it's all smoke, because it, it stops working when the smoke escapes. So in that sense, telepresence kind of solved one of the problems. But the problem it, with that was it solved a problem for a tiny, tiny minority of the overall potential, even existing market at that time. And actually, if you'd gone back 10 years earlier to say the, the heydays of VTEL and, and PitcherTel, those products really were telepresence in all but name, in the sense that they were huge and monolithic and two sets of small groups of people in two locations got to talk to each other. Sounds a lot like telepresence to me. Now, the quality was poor, but it didn't really matter. But it was white label and someone came in and dialed all the calls for you. It didn't scale. As a, as a customer of mine said to someone who came and showed him telepresence uh, when it first came out, he said, so just to confirm, you're taking a niche and then you're building a niche product of a niche product and then you're taking the niche of that. How many are you likely to sell? 10 or 12? And they laughed at him and said, oh, no, no, we're going to sell millions of them. And, of course, nobody did. You know, I, I will give our industry a, a little bit more credit. Lately, I think we've gotten better. I think we're starting to listen. I think previously it was, this is the magic technology. If you don't use it, you're dumb. It's, it's the customer's fault. And now we've been listening and the customers are saying, we don't want to go to the meeting room to use video. We want it in our huddle rooms. So our industry couldn't be jumping on that bandwagon any faster. Everyone's huddle room, huddle room, huddle room. We do huddle rooms. And I think that's not yeah. – it's not the product leading the use. It's the product following the use. Well, I, I agree entirely with that. The other thing to consider is that video conferencing has, until quite recently, been a monolithic solution installed by a higher power, typically some C – CIO or IT manager level person made the monolithic decision we will put X manufacturers technology into our organization and we will use it primarily to talk to ourselves and in fact most people never even considered how the technology would be used in their supply chain they thought about how they would connect their London and New York offices together or their King of Prussia and, and Philadelphia offices together because that's the sort of Fortune 500 type organizations that bought the technology. Now, I think people are realizing that actually it's bubbling up from the users. The users are saying, well, I use FaceTime or Google Hangouts or Skype to talk to my kids. And then you expect me to sit in a two-hour audio conference for the day. No, no, I don't think so. I'll use video. And so what's happening is that the users are simply installing the technology that they want to on a case-by-case -case basis. And the IT department are kind of scrabbling to keep up with the demands of those people. And, um, and as a result, I think it's becoming much more organic. So the industry has worked that out. And, and the, the cloud players particularly uh, have really jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and I think a great example of that is the, the Slack phenomena. When Slack first came out, this isn't a business tool. No one's going to let it in the enterprise. Well, guess what? We had no choice. It, 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 the users started using it because they liked it, and it was up to the IT people to say, okay, we can't lock it out. We have to support it. And, and again, to give the video conferencing industry uh, a little credit, 
they were very quick to jump on and say, oh, we integrate with uh, Slack. We integrate with everyone integrates with Slack now. We can get video right out of Slack. Well, I agree. I, I, I think I'd be less generous than you. Elements of the video conferencing market have jumped on things like Slack and other products out there in that arena. Many haven't, um, but some have. And, and kudos to the ones who have and, and uh, you know, whatever, rocks at the ones who haven't yet. Now, uh, on to the, the second article, and, and we sort of touched upon this. It, it relates to the, the topic of the first article is quality. You had an article about how quality isn't as important as, as we thought it was. And I've agreed with, with this for a long time. Uh, again, going back to when I first entered the industry, video, the highest resolution was 480p. And my feeling at the time was it's better than broadcast television. If I'm looking at whoever's on the news and that's how good he looks, I don't need to look any better than that in a video meeting. And then Life Size came out with 720p, and my first thought was, no one's asking for this. Why? Now, it turns out it was great for the industry because it was amazing in demos, and it blew everyone's mind, and it got people a lot more interested in video conferencing. But now no one talks about resolution anymore. They just care if, it's, if, if the meeting started on time and if the call didn't drop and if it worked. Is reliability the new quality? Yeah, it's an interesting point, right? If you can look at them as three dimensions on a graph, um, if one dimension's quality, another dimension is ease of use, and another dimension is scalability, you could have a false, but that's hard to imagine, which would be reliability. They're all important, but they're all independent from each other. It can be low quality and reliable. It could, in theory, be high quality and reliable. It could be easy to use and none of those things, or easy to use and all of those things. I think that what we as an industry did, um, and I know because I was right at the coalface as to why we did that, was it needed reinventing. Um, video conferencing in 2004 was below the quality in which it was a usable technology. It was technically, it wasn't 480p actually, it was CIF in those days, CIF or SIF, depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on. And we were 352 by 288 pixels. And it's disturbing that 16 years later, I still remember those two numbers. But <laughs> that quality was, I would argue, too low a quality to be useful. I would argue that any one of these criteria, it's not a case of zero to 100, where 100 is perfect and zero is nothing. You've got to be above zero in all of them, but you don't have to be 100 at all of them or any of them for it to be a useful technology. So what I mean by that, is for example, let me give you an example. Uh, I, as an Englishman, grew up watching PAL television quality, European quality television in, in the UK, came to America, watched television in America, and went, how can you people watch this? I mean, it, it was so blurred. The quality of the color was so poor, particularly in the 70s. I mean, good grief, everyone was different shades of green most of the time. And it was an appalling experience, but everyone here just went, yeah, it's fine, and I'm used to it. And so what happens is if it can go above a level in which it's acceptable, then I think that other things become important. If you take it to the other extreme, you can have it so good that it becomes irrelevant. And a perfect example of that would be Blu-ray versus Netflix. So Netflix is, will tell you, it, tells, it sends you a high-definition image. It sends you a high-definition image of about 3.5 megabits a second. If you get a Blu-ray DVD, it's anywhere between 25 and 45 megabits a second. So obviously Blu-ray discs are going to sell better than Netflix are because they're much better quality. Oh, hang on. Hardly anyone buys Blu-ray discs. 
because what Netflix is is good enough. So I would argue in all three of the, or, or four perhaps, of those um, axes in which you need to measure the technology, it doesn't need to be free to be useful, but it can't be a million dollars. But it, needs to, it can be above zero for it to be useful. The quality needs to be good, but it doesn't need to be 1080, 60 or, God forbid, 4K or something like that quality for it to be a useful tool. The user experience doesn't have to be fantastic. It needs to be good enough. And I think that what the industry did was fail to understand the good enough user experiences and good enough reliability and good enough scalability were the things that we were missing while we all rushed off down this line of the ultimate quality. Yeah, I, I agree. No one's getting on a video conferencing call and saying, this better look amazing. The resolution better blow my mind. It, it just has to be good enough that it doesn't distract them. If they're in a video call and it looks bad, they'll say, oh, this is, this is distracting me from the content. This is so terrible. We should, we should use something else. The trade-off between convenience and quality, I, I go back to when uh, CDs for first came out. You know, I had all my music on cassettes. I had already shifted from vinyl to cassettes, and CDs sounded so much better. It's so much better that it was almost used against them. They said it sounds too good. You could hear the, the artists breathing in between their singing. You could hear their hands moving on the guitars, and, and it really was fantastic. But I stuck with cassettes for a long time because I could, I could put them in the car. They're easy to carry around. They don't skip when you're driving. Uh, so what was more important, convenience or quality? Uh, eventually, I, I shifted to CDs, but for a long time, it was, it was ease of use. Uh, and that's fair enough, right? And that shows actually where two people can have, who probably think along similar lines, can have a very different experience. The day after I heard CD, I'm like, everything must be CD. I mean, <laughs> I hated cassettes with a passion. And so what happens is, is that there is a bar of quality, a bar of ease of use, a bar of price, a bar of reliability, and it's different for each person. Mm -hmm. And once you get over that, then you're all off to the races. Um, I mean, personally, I think it's one of the reasons that makes the video conferencing industry such a fun place to be, not only because we, you genuinely change lives with, people, uh, with this technology, but also because where the bar is is entirely subjective and it turns it into a human emotion thing rather than just a what's the range of your wireless router or some other you know, boring thing that other people get involved in. So that I want to uh, get into the last article. This is a very general kind of a thought piece. It wasn't that specific to video conferencing, but how the world is going to change more in our lifetimes than it's changed in the last 2000 years combined. Uh, and it's true for a lot of things. I think uh, of how quickly things are changing. You know, in, when I was a kid, there were technologies that had been around for 80, 100 years, and when they were replaced, I expected the replacement to last 80, 100 years, but they didn't. And, and one example, again, going to music, vinyl records. My first music was vinyl, and when that got replaced by cassettes, I'm like, oh, well, this is the new thing. We're going to have cassettes for 80 to 100 years. Ten years later, we had CDs. Things are getting replaced quicker, and we're getting used to things changing quicker. And this wasn't in your article, but this is just where it led me in my thought process is there are times when we get things right. I was recently on a, a forum of guitar players, and, and someone started a discussion and said, what do you think electric guitars are going to look like in 20 or 50 years? And almost everyone said they're going to look exactly like they do today because that's exactly what they looked like 50 years ago. We got it right. And, and if you're used to playing on a, a, a Fender Stratocaster, you could pick up a Gibson Les Paul and play it. You could pick up a Kramer and play it. I can walk right now into any guitar shop, pick up any guitar, and play them because we got it right. 
And that led me, led me to thinking about video conferencing, and I feel like we're, we're still at the infancy. I don't know if we've gotten it right yet. We have so many different solutions, and if you're trained and, and comfortable with one, you might not be able to just start up a call with, with uh, using another one. You might have to learn how to use it. It might be a different way to invite people. Even something simple as muting yourself might be something completely different. So I'm wondering if, if, if you agree that, that we don't have video conferencing right yet, or is it just such a completely different thing that is not like a guitar? There needs to be differences in video conferencing. Well, I, that's an interesting position, right? So part of the point with the article was to prove how fast human affairs are changing. Uh, and in fact, we're seeing this in our political sphere. The, the number of people in Western Europe and in the US who are being left behind by the changes in society, the changing in work patterns, you know, that affects politics, no question. All those people who want to go back to a past that either never really existed or, or perhaps was good for a small percentage of the, of the economy, uh, that is a human problem. And the, the problem we have as a society is we don't equip people to cope with a world which is changing faster than many people can cope with. So that's a first step. I think that there's no doubt that that's true. As far as our industry is concerned, the, the problem with your guitar analogy, and, and a piano one would be one that I would know better, but a piano was effectively invented, the modern piano was effectively invented by Beethoven, and that was invented to become ever louder because he was going deaf in the last years of his life. And we now have, as soon as it was loud enough that, that Beethoven can hear it, it became an orchestral instrument. And you could argue that the, the piano hasn't changed for 200, and, well, 200 years, a bit over 220 years now, but effectively it has. What it's done is become the Moog or the synthesizer or mm -hmm. some other instrument. So your guitar may or may not be called a guitar in 20 years, and ones like the ones you play now will exist, I'm certain of it, but there may be some other thing that comes out that was a development of that. So in the same way... In, in our industry, I suspect that we're in a position where uh, one of the things I think that's a problem is that all the manufacturers, or many of them, are looking for the ultimate user interface, as if there's such a thing. There isn't such a thing. It's like driving a car. Um, driving a car is the instrument set up as it is today with the handbrake and the gear change and, all, and the pedals where they are and the steering wheel. Is that the ideal scenario? Probably not. There's probably lots of evidence to suggest that you could do other things with all the controls. Well, if that were the case, why don't they do it? Well, they don't do it because familiarity becomes more important than, quote, intuitiveness. I remember once bumping into a man who drove a, I was at a, an old croc run. He was one, driving one of those big green Bentleys from the 1930s, the big blower Bentleys. And I said, what's it like? He said, it's a 140 mile an hour bus and the clutch and the accelerator are swapped round. And he says, that gets pretty scary. And he says, because Bentley felt at the time it was a better way of doing it. And I think our industry has got all these people who are obsessed with, we've got a fantastic user interface and ours is the right answer. When frankly, Microsoft or Apple have probably already invented the best, and I use parentheses here, user interface in the grounds that you're either a Windows user or you're a Mac user. And if you use one of those two things, you know how the, the product works. You don't need any lessons. And I do wonder if all this fancy user interface that these, these products, particularly the room-based products put in today, is 
frankly not worth it because the users are familiar with desktop applications. They're not afraid of them. Yeah, sometimes familiarity is, is more important than, than the ideal solution. A great example is the common keyboard. Uh, the QWERTY keyboard, it, it's not designed well. The, the keys that are the most commonly used are not under your most common fingers. And I've seen designs for more efficient keyboards, and they are more efficient. When people are trained on them, they can type much faster than they can on a QWERTY keyboard. Uh, and these have been well, out for what? decades, but no one's buying them because we're familiar with it and it works. I can type yeah, fast yeah. on it. QWERTY keyboards are actually specifically designed to slow you down because of the old hammer mechanism of mechanical typewriters. You had to make certain that letters you were going to use next to each other on a, on a regular basis, like A and T, for example, we use a different sides of the of the hammer system. So absolutely, you made certain that they slowed you down. It's a perfect example. Cars is one. Um, I'm sure that if you, my car is almost entirely electronic now. It doesn't, there's no mechanical feedback. My early cars, 30 something years ago, they were mechanical. So they had to have steering wheels like they do and handbrakes like they do and gear changes like they do. But now it's all switches. You could run the buttons in any manner you wanted to. You could easily make any modern car, for example, a hands-only control. Would yeah. that be useful to significant swathes of the population? Yes. If you made a car that was hands-only control or even the other way around, feet-only uh, control, would anyone buy it? No. On your Nelly, would they buy it? Because it's yeah. far too scary. No one wants to relearn to drive or to play a uh, a Stratocaster or to play a piano or to type a keyboard. Exactly. But, but the problem you, you do suffer from, if you think, right, well, we'll therefore we'll solidify on a single answer, then that's, you've got to be careful of that as well because the ultimate of that is the telephone. The telephone hasn't changed in any meaningful way since the um, handset telephone came out in the uh, 1930s. 40s, I think it was, maybe early 30s, must have been the 30s. And in fact, it was 1927, I've just remembered. And so that, that type of the candlestick type phone with no numbers on it, you called the uh, operator. Well, that was a use case scenario for 30 years. And then the numbered phone is the use case scenario until now. And people go, oh, well, the phone's fine. It, no, but actually it's a terrible technology in many respects. It, it's standardization and therefore easy ubiquity, that's true. But the audio quality is absolutely awful. Yeah. The, uh, the, the ability to scale it out to a global basis is appalling. I mean, Americans don't even think about this. You have to dial an international number. You have to dial one, often, you used to, have to dial one to make a call across the country. Why would you do that? It's not an international call. But people don't even think about it in those terms. Uh, I love the way that the telephone exchanges today. If you dial a number from your phone and it's a local, but you put in, those, in the area code, it will tell you, you didn't need to put that code in. Well, if this thing was so bright that it knew I didn't need to put it in, why didn't it just dial the number for me? <laughs> right? But, but none of these, so all the innovation in telephony has gone. Where I think that we're at that um, a Cambrian moment, really, where we've got explosive number of ideas and some will will be willowed out and some will take off. And I think that the app economy, the app world, is absolutely pushing that agenda. You don't like the user interface of Skype for business? Fine, go and use Zoom. Don't like Zoom? No problem. Go and download Starleaf. Don't like either of those and you just want telephony? WhatsApp's for you. So the users are getting 
lots and lots and lots. I mean, I'm looking at my desktop now. I've got at least six applications open right now that I can do instant messaging from. I've got, I happen to have Zoom, Starleaf, uh, Skype, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And I can do messaging and telephony from all five of them. And people will say, oh, you know, it must have one standard. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. And in fact, I could tuck most of those together into something like Trillium, mm -hmm. right, which is an application that packs all those together. And I don't use Trillium. And the vast, vast, vast majority of people using instant messaging don't use Trillium because you lose some of the extra features. And you think, but it's crazy you've got all these applications. You know, yeah, it is, and it works. And that's part of the experience of having all these new technologies take off at the same time. The users will ultimately pat down until they've come up with a few different answers in the same way that your guitar doesn't have a keyboard on the side, but in the 1980s, it may well have had. Yep. You know, and I, hopefully I, that stuff's gone away. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it's a trade-off. On the one hand, I love the fact that we have so many options for, for messaging apps and for video apps. I love the fact that Zoom and Starleaf and BlueJeans and everything are all very different from each other. So someone could say, oh, I prefer this one because it works with my workflow. I like to work this way and it supports that. I think that's wonderful. But I also love the fact that if you were to visit me and we were to go out drinking and I wasn't drinking, I could drive your car. If you, if you said, you know, I want to have a couple beers, I want you to, to drive. It doesn't matter what kind of car you have. It doesn't matter if I've ever driven it before. I know I can drive it. Um, we're not there with video conferencing, but Again, if, if video conferencing was like that, if every vendor had the same exact UI, the steering wheel is all in the same place for everyone, then we wouldn't have all these options. So I guess I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be unhappy fan. either way. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of standardization is to an extent useful, but, but freedom of choice is bigger. It's more important. There's been more innovation in instant messaging and video conferencing in the last five years than telephony has had from a user's perspective in 80. And there's no question that's true. And I would argue that, you know, may, maybe there's never one answer. I, I, it's always that funny thing. People are always talking about, oh, yes, but in the end, we'll all go to X. Well, when I started, and I'm dating myself here, when I started in business back in the mid-80s, the answer was going to be, well, it was going to be dedicated word processors. And then, of course, we standardized about 1988, 89, something like that. But WordPerfect 5.0 and a compact PC and probably an HP laser printer, that was going to be the standard. And if you wanted um, networking, then you'd probably go, well, not probably, you'd go for Novell Netware. And I remember selling hundreds of people Novell Netware 2.08A and um, WordPerfect 5.0 and a couple of laser jet printers and a bunch of PCs because, well, they were going to win. I mean, they had so much of the word processing market that everything had to bend to their standards. Well, suddenly it was the right answer, right, until the point where it wasn't. In that particular case, it wasn't when Windows came out. So what happens in business is a technology will win until the success criteria in the market change. And at that point, then we're off and we go in a different direction. And, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never seen a point where there will be one winner. It always looks like it's going to be. We're, we're whizzing towards some sort of um, epicenter, some sort of point at which everything will go, and then suddenly the rules change, the success criteria change, we're all off to do something else. 
it makes it an awful lot more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm, I'm with you on this. It, it, on the one hand, hey, it'd be great if we had standardization and it didn't matter which video solution I was using, I would know how to use it, everyone would know how to use it. But that would kind of stifle innovation a bit. And I think one of the wonderful things about our industry is it's been very innovative in the last few years. They've been adding a lot of features, doing things a lot differently. They've been brave. They've been thinking bravely and, and trying different things. And I want to encourage that. I don't want to discourage that and say, no, no, make everything like a car. Put the steering wheels in all the same places. Go ahead. Play with your UIs. Try different buttons in different places. Try different features. See what the users like. Give the users those options, at least for now. I, well, I think permanently, frankly, because the users, the, the products, the price of the products is coming down to the point where it's mass deployable and you don't like, and I'm looking down at my own uh, task list here, you don't like Skype, fine, we'll meet on Zoom. Don't like Zoom, fine, we'll meet on Starly or, or any other product. And that's a lot more interesting than saying, oh, well, we can't do, uh, we can't do, for example, like we used to, you can't do more than four frames a second for your data because H281 doesn't or sorry 239 h239 uh, dual streaming doesn't support more than four frames a second oh well we'll all sit there in that little h323 bubble you know there, there was less innovation in 20 years of h323 than there's been in four years of products like starleaf and zoom and others yeah. and uh, i think that the market is voting with its feet this whole idea that people come around and say oh well all the manufacturers like google and Skype, for that matter, and all these others. Oh, well, they come up with systems, and they're not compatible with the industry standard. You know how much the users care about industry standards? Not a fig. I mean, not one bit. And you can see that because people like me and pretty much everyone else in the world presently has five instant messenger applications open, and, and no one ever sat there and goes, well, I would use Skype, but I can't make a call from that to Hangouts. People go, oh, I'll just download Hangouts then. The, the only really kind of bit that matters is, so long as the other technology, I don't have a, a webcam that only works with Skype and another web and a microphone that only works with BlueJeans. I mean, so long as those components are, are compatible, then then that makes perfect sense for the user. Yeah, it, it seems like we've been fighting this interoperability and standards battle for so long. Everything has to be able to connect on the same standard. Everything has to be interoperable. And suddenly we're not caring as much because it's become easier to just use whatever app is being thrown at you. I, I remember it, uh, I think it was Enterprise Connect two years ago, uh, Rowan Trollope from Cisco was asked what his vision for interoperability or something about the importance of interoperability. And he goes, oh, we have perfect device interoperability. You could use Cisco Spark on your iPhone, or you could use it on your Windows phone, or you could use it on your desktop, or you could use it on any device you want. We have interoperability. I can send anyone an email and say, join my, my Spark room, and they can join. Solved. As long as everyone uses Cisco, we don't need interoperability. And it, was, <laughs> it, it got a big laugh, but it's kind of true. If, if I can send you an invite to a Starleaf meeting, or a blue jeans meeting or a zoom meeting or anything else and you could just click a link and join i don't have to be interoperable with what you have no you don't i mean as long as the app so long as companies put in applications that or, or don't stop putting their letting their users put in the applications of their choice and build the infrastructure to make certain that that those users can be looked after and when i mean infrastructure i mean good quality internet connectivity don't be too wildly tight on your firewalls uh, within certain reasonable security limits. And 
if you are putting stuff into things like huddle rooms, make certain that you can run whatever application your users want to put in. Um, I think it's important that IT managers think along those lines too. The days of a monolithic IT department saying, here is your IBM ThinkPad, here is your Motorola TimePort phone, and here is the laser printer you're mapped to are over. I think that these days the IT department are like, we'll, we'll, we'll produce an environment in which our users can do whatever they want to do. And I really wouldn't want to be an IT manager who puts in a monolithic solution from any manufacturer and says, we use this product. And if you want to use anything else, you can't. And then when the set managing director says, well, our biggest customer wants to talk to me and he's using something that isn't the thing you specified, what are we going to do now? And he's like, bad luck. Well, that's a good idea to get a new IT manager at that point or for the IT manager to make certain he never puts himself in that position. So I think, you know, we talked earlier about the axes. I think flexibility is becoming the most important, particularly in a world which is changing so fast. You know, we know between the two of us, we could probably make a very short list of what products we think are the best in the industry today. But would either of us be prepared to bet $10 that what we think is the best today will be the best in two years or five years? Well, I certainly wouldn't take that bet. I don't know. don't know what's coming. And so what IT managers need is flexibility. Yeah, if, if you went to us three years ago and asked us what, what we thought the future of uh, Cisco video infrastructure is, we wouldn't have guessed Econo because Econo didn't exist yet. I mean, that's how fast exactly. things are changing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't well, want to make any predictions. I mean, I was talking two years ago in, in a previous incarnation of mine about how, you know, how what I saw is the vision for the industry and what I see for the vision of the industry today doesn't look anything like what I thought the vision of the industry was going to look like two years ago. I mean, it, it's kind of funny that it's that old statement of the future never, is never like it was going to be. And we, ha we all have a vision of, you know, I was talking about this publicly two years ago. Well, I think the market will be about integrated endpoints with, with, uh, with, with cloud services. I don't think that's true at all. I think the integrated uh, endpoint market doesn't make any sense anymore. We're in a world of uh, you just want the most flexible solution possible. And you may decide you have an, a company standard within your own organization. That makes sense. But equally, you want the users to be able to use whatever application their customers or their suppliers dictate. And you want to make certain that the devices in your meeting rooms, if you have any of those that uh, for your users, are compatible with those solutions and not you know, plugged into only one system. That's a, that's a terrible answer. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think the, the big takeaway is with things changing so quickly, our vendors uh, in the industry really have to maximize flexibility. They can't make a solution that works this way and only works this way and only connects with these things. It needs to be as, as open as possible and as, as flexible as possible. And we're seeing a lot more of that. I agree entirely. I agree entirely. Great. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming here today. That covers the, the topics I wanted to cover. You know, you've been pushing out a lot of, of really great articles. I've really been enjoying it. Please, uh, at least from my behalf, please keep it up. So sure. thanks, David. I appreciate it. You know, uh, to the audience, if, if you go and read them all, and they're all on my LinkedIn profile, um, I do hope you enjoy them. It's funny, you, you put these things out, and occasionally people say nice things about them. Occasionally people say unnice things about them. But most of the time, you don't get any feedback at all. So mm. feedback is wonderful. I love it. 
or it helps me write better articles in the future. Otherwise, I think I'm just shouting into the vacuum. Yeah, I agree completely. And if anyone listening has any feedback on, on this conversation, be sure to hit us up on LinkedIn or, or in the comment fields when I post this on, on Let's Do Video and let us know what you think. Uh, and if you enjoyed this, please look for more content like it on letsdovideo.com. And you could sign up for my newsletter at letsdovideo.com newsletter. Thanks so much.